Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to get started, even though I know people usually call in a little bit late, but it's been a long week for many of us, and we have a few providers on the line, so we need to start on time and, you know, respect everyone's time here. Um, so my name is Blima Marcus. I'm a nurse practitioner. We have three other medical firm providers on the phone, and as they each speak, they'll introduce themselves a little more, but for right now, I'll just say their names. Um, we have Dr. Moshe Cohn, who has been on the call before, and people really appreciated um, his experience and updates and um, thoughts on how to uh, deal with the coronavirus in our communities. We have Dr. Miriam Lieberman, who has been on our call, and we also have uh, Danielle Stock, who is a member of Hatsala, as well as a nurse practitioner with experience in pediatrics and oncology. So we're going to let each of them also provide a one or two liner about themselves so we know who we're hearing information from, and then we're going to get into our agenda. So I'm going to start by reviewing current statistics of the coronavirus cases. Um, We're going to talk about updates from hospitals, what's happening in hospitals. We're going to talk about what's happening in clinics. We're going to talk about what's happening on Hatsala's end. They're getting a lot of calls and what can we do to try to help that. Um, We're going to talk about uh, testing. That's one of the biggest questions people have, Um, you know, symptomatic versus asymptomatic people. Should you be isolated? Should you be in quarantine? Um, We're going to also talk about a couple of newer things. Um, I know in the past we've spoken about people who may be immunocompromised, and this reflects a very large portion of the firm population without even realizing it because that can mean people who have underlying diseases or people who are on medications that can make you immunosuppressed. Um, But we're also going to talk about children that are medically fragile, which is a term that means children that have a lot of complex medical issues that require home care, you know, nurses coming to your home, children on machines, children um, on feeding tubes and things like that. Because right now with isolation practices in place, that becomes very difficult for families to manage. Um, We're also going to try to talk a little bit about uh, what we should be thinking about when we think about Pesach and making Pesach and traveling for Pesach. And I'm not sure we have great answers, but it's definitely worth talking about. Then we're also hoping to uh, go through a list of myths that are circulating online and through our phones and mouth-to-mouth um, about how to prevent coronavirus or how to treat coronavirus. So it's always good to have accurate information. So that being said, um, Dr. Cohn, can you say hi and just tell us quickly what you do? Uh, hi, yes, Blima, thank you. Um, my name is Moshe Cohn. Uh, I am a, a pediatrician uh, who's trained in critical care, so I work in a pediatric ICU. I'm also trained in hospice and palliative medicine, um, and I work uh, in the pediatric ICU at the Hassenfeld Children's Hospital at NYU in Manhattan. Okay, thanks so much. Um, Dr. Lieberman? 
Hi, good evening. I'm Dr. Lieberman. I am a board. Dr. Lieberman, I think we lost you. Um, do you hear her, Dr. Cohn? No, no, I, I didn't. She got cut off. She got cut off. Okay, uh, let's try to get her back on. Hmm. All right, while she tries to get back on, and Dr. Lieberman, if you hear me and you're still on the call, um, just interrupt me and let me know. But in the meantime, we'll start with some of the numbers Hello? that I know people want to hear. Oh, hey, you're there. Hi, can you hear me? You hear yes, now we hear you. Are you back with us? Yes, sorry about that. Hi, I'm Dr. Lieberman. I'm a board-certified dermatologist, trained uh, in New York City and currently practicing in New York City. And you're very sorry about that. Hiccup. About, <laughs> that's okay. And you're excited to be here with us and talk about yes. how we can help the firm community try to stay as safe and healthy as possible. I know you're so passionate yes. about that. I'm okay. very passionate about public health, especially yeah, within the firm community. I know. Okay. So let's start talking about numbers, okay? As of today, March 18th, globally, around the globe, we have 218,000 cases of coronavirus, 8,952 deaths, and when calculated, that leads to a death rate of 4%, or four out of every 100 people who catch it have died. In the United States, uh, there are 9,301 cases, 152 deaths, for a death rate of 1.6%, which is one and a half people for every 100. New York State has 3,038 cases and 20 deaths for a death rate of 0.9%, which is close to one out of 100. And in New York City, similar death rate, uh, 923 cases today, up from 420 yesterday. So it more than doubled since yesterday. 10 deaths in New York City, one of them in a hospital near me, um, for a death rate of 1%. Um, and to break it down further, the New York City numbers are 60% male, 40% female, so men are at a higher risk. And when divided by age, only 3% were age 5 to 17. But this number really shocked me. 50% of cases, 5-0, were in ages 18 to 49. And I think that's really important because most of the emphasis on prevention and isolation is to prevent the elderly from catching this. But Right over here, we have 50% are below age 50, not even getting close to 60 or 70. Another 23% are 50 to 64, and 25% of people are older than 65. So for me, this really is very telling and I think very useful in understanding how careful we need to be and not be lax with ourselves because we feel like we're younger and we're less at risk for you know catching it or being ill. So for me, that was really um, interesting. Um, and not really in a good way. Um, did any of you hear about these numbers um, coming in today, or are you surprised about the male versus female number or about the age range? Because I know we're hearing more about coronavirus in the younger people. I know, Dr. Cohn, you, you emailed me um, some new studies coming out of China, right? Um, there's a lot of new information um and it will keep coming out of China because they've, at least thus far, have had the largest number of cases, but also because um, they have, uh, they're, they're keeping track of the outcomes of all of their patients. Um, the, the latest one was a paper this week about uh, where they looked at only the children that have been affected. Um, and 
there are a little over 2,000 children um, that were ill uh, that they had they were tracking in China. Um, mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, Baruch Hashem, there were really a very small percentage, um, uh, less than one percent um, of those that were um, that were severely severely ill. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I think the you know, youngest we don't, that we don't know what that means. Was he, was it a fourteen year old that was the youngest? Yeah, I believe I so. Um, yeah. The yeah, and and again, you know, it, meaning that it obviously can affect children. Um, one of the aside from the numbers that are going to keep coming, um, but um, but what I still sort of have been uh, cautioning people about it because I've been cautioned about this is that there's still a lot of information that we don't know. Um, right. specifically about about the virus, and there's more to say about that, but um, at the very least, in the meantime, the numbers that we're seeing um, are not surprising, but are actually also very important to some of the things we're talking about tonight. Okay, thanks. Um, I, I know so I many I also just wanted are, to add, yeah, I just wanted to add um, a new CDC analysis that was just released that shows a, a higher number than what's thought in the U.S., at least, um, people between the ages of 20 to 44 who are uh, contracting the virus and requiring hospitalization is much higher than we were seeing in uh, other countries. Um, so oh, that's, that's the latest. Uh, about one in five people between 20 and 44 are requiring hospitalization. Wow. wow. So we're, we're learning a possible. lot over time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of the guinea pigs here, you know, our, this, this time frame because um, we don't know a lot, but we're learning a lot. Um, but the point of these calls is actually to provide these updates um, in real time as soon as we know them so that people can take this information and, and act accordingly. Uh, you know, like I didn't know that half of the people with, with the diagnosis of coronavirus are under age 50. I really didn't know that until I read this just an hour ago. Um, so, yeah, we all really need to realize what that means for all of us. Um, and I'm seeing this in the hospital, and, and that brings me to my next point, um, where I want to talk about what's actually happening on the, in, the medical, in the medical field. So I work in a hospital. I know Dr. Cohn works in a hospital. Um, what, what I'm seeing is how every day more and more cases are coming into the hospital. Um, a lot of them are coming in looking okay. They're having shortness of breath and some fevers. Um, or a cough. Some of them, one person came in, she had just passed out, um, and the nurse practitioner who admitted her was convinced that she wouldn't be positive, but she was positive, and she's now on a ventilator. It, it took less than 24 hours for her to go from being okay and walking and talking to her lungs just closing down on her. Um, yesterday, I admitted a young woman who was 49, and when I left for my shift yesterday, in the evening, um, I checked on her. She wasn't even on oxygen. She was just chatting with her husband. And when I came in this morning, her room was empty, and she had already been intubated and put in the ICU. So it is very worrisome. We're seeing people that are not feeling well are coming to the hospital when they're feeling a little more critical um, and then rapidly escalating to the ICU, unfortunately. So, so that's something that we're keeping our eye on, and we want to really try to prevent this happening in the firm community. Um, we're also seeing that clinics are having a lot of issues because people are still coming in for testing. They still want to be seen by a doctor because they're anxious or they want to know that it's something else. You know, maybe I have strep, maybe I've got, you know, the flu. But what you're doing is exposing the entire practice 
if you become, if you end up being positive and now all of those staff members might start calling out sick. And that's happening in my hospital. It's happening in hospitals all around the city. Um, you know, so many of our nurses are developing fever and chills and coughs because they've been caring for people or family members have been visiting. And that's just not safe. You don't want to be hospitalized somewhere where there's a nursing shortage or a doctor shortage. So these are all things that all of us should be collectively worried about. Um, and then we've also started getting updates from Hassala, who is really on the front lines in the from community, you know, for people who are starting to get anxious about how they're feeling and how they're breathing. And I think um, um, Danielle is on the phone now. Danielle, can you unmute yourself and say hi, introduce yourself so that we know who you are, what you do, and maybe you can give us a little bit of insight as to what's happening on Hassala's end. Yeah, thank you, Lou. My name is Daniel Seck. I uh, work in I worked in Sloan Kettering for ten years as a pediatric. Can you? Sorry, Daniel. I don't um, know if everyone hears you. Can you, can you talk like pretend you're yelling at someone? Sorry, is this a little bit better? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, uh -huh. Try not to wake up the children. Finally got some. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, my name is Daniel Stock. I work in uh, I worked in Sloan Kettering for ten years, and I've also been on Hustle for about fourteen years. Um, you know, obviously everything that everyone's been saying is the same thing about you know social being very important because we are seeing a lot of people in the community um, getting sick. Right, most people. Um, Sorry, I'm not. Is it, I'm not sure if it's just me. Is everyone else having a hard time hearing him? Yeah, it's just very muffled. Oh, it's muffled, right? I'm going to, um, you know what, keep going. I'm going to call you back from another line. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm getting some messages that we're not hear hearing you. Okay, so if you can call us back, that would be great. We'll we'll keep going and come back to you in a few minutes. Um, I, so, I, you know, we were talking about cases and deaths. Um, I, I've been getting a message from someone who told me that an elderly person from Crown Heights had passed away. Um, has anyone else heard that, Dr. Cohn or... Dr. Lieberman? Um, I've, we've been hearing about that. Um, I haven't heard it confirmed um, at uh, the end of the day, at the end of the day today. I have not heard that yet, um, but mm -hmm. it is very possible. Oh, I'm having, someone's texting me, someone from Crown Heights is actually texting me right now and telling me that it is confirmed. An older okay. woman. Okay. So, Barf Dynamics, okay. I'm very sorry I to hear that. Been, uh, and I was hearing about actually a man, so that you know, uh, but again, not, not, unfortunately, not surprising. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not surprising and we're not trying to sound morbid here, but likely we will hear this happening. Um, and hopefully the more actions we take and the more informed everyone is, we can try to mitigate that. Um, uh, Danielle, are you back on the line with us? I'm here. Can you hear me now? Yeah, so talk loudly and slowly because we want to hear what you have to say. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, I did hear about that person from Crown Heights. Um, I think oh. she was taken into the hospital uh, two days ago um, and was mm. missed her this morning. Um, oh. But in general, they, we are seeing a lot of um, people that are calling because they're, you know, very concerned. Um, there are people that are calling really with just questions, you know, what do we do, who do we talk to, you know, as always, it's really talking to your primary doctor unless you have things that are very significant symptoms like shortness of breath, you know, fevers, stuff that, that you know, we worry that you staying home would be, you know, more detrimental to your health than, you know, just going to the hospital. 
Um, but we are seeing a lot of mild symptoms in people of all ages, um, mm-hmm. and I can say that um, really from you know teenage years all the way up to people in their elderly ages, um, they are seeing a lot of mild symptoms, and really it's just like body aches, even some right. people having fevers, um, just overall. And I think um, really what we're seeing and what we're trying to tell people, which is the same thing that everyone's been saying, is really that social distancing is really important. If you have anything... Uh, that remotely you consider a symptom that you're concerned about, that means stay home, right? Don't mm-hmm. even think think about going out. You know, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting others at risk. And again, I know you all. Everybody's been saying this from day one. It's not like, um, but we're actually seeing a lot more people ending up in the hospital now. Um, you know, we have hotel members that were, you know, get infected as well, and we're also, you know, in isolation and not able to go out and help the community as much as possible. We have SL members who, you know, have their own medical conditions that because of what's going on, they can't be outside helping them as well. Um, right. You know, some people have asthma, some people have heart conditions. You know, we're not all as young as we used to be. Um, but, you know, we all have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves as well. Um, but the biggest, the biggest thing is, I think, um, you know, being mindful about, you know, not just yourself but everybody else as well. You know, and as you were saying, Yantif's coming, everyone's thinking about all these different things and everyone's getting very nervous. But, you know, yeah. we're we're all in this together, you know, and if you ever have an emergency concern, of course you can call out Zala. No one would ever tell you not to. Um, and that's what we're there for. But it's really important to also know that you know, if you're not feeling well, but it's not, you don't feel like it's an emergency, just overall body aches, you know, call your local doctor. Don't run to the emergency room. Don't run to... Uh, the urgent care is because I think you're taxing uh, the system as well. Right, and and I think um, I think a lot of people are just feeling so much anxiety. Like if there weren't if there wasn't a pandemic going on, having a little fever or shortness of breath or a cough, you know, everyone would just ride it out and take a day off work or just take it easy. But now everyone's really panicking and they want answers. Um, and I know that one of the things Hassala is getting called about is shortness of breath. And I've heard people say that Hassala came and evaluated but didn't necessarily recommend going to the hospital. And this is, and this is true because feeling short of breath, and this is a, a medical term, and, and sometimes people don't understand what that means. Um, it can just mean you're breathing a little faster than usual or you're taking deeper breaths um, or that it just feels like your chest is a little tight. And they don't know, like, does that mean I need to go to the emergency room or call Hatsala? And the answer is if you're feeling stable or you're feeling okay, then that's fine. You don't need to call Hatsala for fever and shortness of breath. But if you're having a hard time keeping up a conversation with someone, like pretend you're on a treadmill and you're running and you're huffing, and if that's how you're feeling, then that's probably a good time to call Hatsala. Otherwise, I have heard that Hatsala is helping people decide, like they'll come to the home, see how you're doing, and help you decide whether this does need to be escalated and you should be seen in, in the emergency room or if it's better to wait it out, call them back if you're worse. So I think yeah. that's a good way for people to have a little bit of reassurance but also not have the emergency room flooded with more people who will continue to make each other sick and all that. Um, but that does bring us to our next very popular segment. And I know we've mentioned this before on our last few calls, but it just bears some repeating. We just might make it a little shorter than usual. But we want to talk about what you should do if you're not symptomatic, what you should do if you are symptomatic, because people are saying, well, do I need to stay home if I feel fine? Or if I have, if I had fever yesterday, can I go out today? So these are 
all questions that, you know, so many people are having. Dr. Lieberman, I know you, you helped us out with that a few days ago on our call. Do you want to go through that information again for us? And then, and then we can also talk a little bit about isolation and quarantine and when those are necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about who should get tested and who should not get tested um, and just break it down a little bit to make it easy. So if somebody has no symptoms whatsoever, they absolutely do not need to get tested. Um, there is no reason. Um, because uh, COVID-19 or this coronavirus is um, confirmed to be within the community, you don't need to have a travel history. You don't need to have a positive exposure to someone who is positive for it to be concerned if you are symptomatic. So if someone does does have symptoms, um, and which symptoms are those? So symptoms to look out for in relation to COVID-19 is a fever of greater than 100.4 degrees, a new onset cough, shortness of breath, or sore throat. If a person has any of those new onset symptoms, they need to assume at this point in time that they are likely positive for COVID-19. Do they need to go get tested for it? Absolutely not. They need to stay home and isolate themselves as best as possible, both from other members in the home and from the outside community. Um, how long do they need to stay home? That's uh, another question that we'll go over. But why is it important for them to stay home? Because uh, they are not gonna change their treatment management by getting tested positive. They're going to protect other people outside from getting the coronavirus if they do have it, and they're going to protect themselves from getting the coronavirus if they actually don't have it. You know, it's still the winter time, people are still getting influenza, people are still getting other viruses. By staying home and taking care of yourself, you are allowing the healthcare providers, you're allowing healthcare facilities to focus on the severe cases that we were mentioning before. Now, um, with the exception of somebody's older than 50 or have other medical conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, if they're not improving, they're getting worse. If it's a pregnant woman, they should consult their doctor, ideally through phone or email if possible, because maybe the management will change. But they should not be uh, running to urgent care to get tested, running to the emergency room to get tested. Somebody has mild to moderate disease, stay home. If somebody is asymptomatic, they also don't need a test, and they should really, frankly, right now, everybody should be staying home as best as possible with the exception of the essentials for uh, staying alive, groceries, pharmacy, et cetera, and healthcare providers have to leave and go to work. Um, who does need testing? People with severe symptoms, difficulty breathing, you know, feeling at rest like you can't speak, uh, feeling fatigued um, with the difficulty breathing, somebody with very high fever that cannot be controlled, um, somebody who's not being able to keep down their fluids, um, go to the emergency room and once there, they will decide if you uh, do need a test or not. These rules okay. are, are based yeah. in New York City. So they are subject to change and, you know, just keep, keep in mind to keep uh, following uh, the changes. Okay. So I think that's really clear. And I think for me, at least the take home message and what I've been sharing with everyone else is exactly what you said, which is basically to be home no matter what these days. But if you start developing symptoms, then you really have to more strictly quarantine yourself. Um, you know, people keep messaging me and saying, I think I'm at a coronavirus. Why shouldn't I get tested? Where can I get tested? And I think because if people get a negative result, they might feel like they can be out and about. But first of all, negative results, you know, aren't always accurate. 
but also um, exactly. if you're out and about, then you'll probably catch it somewhere. So the testing is just so not necessary, and it's just so much more important to um, to, to just really remain indoors. And it, it's, it's funny, like with every day that passes, I notice that I'm getting stricter. I notice that our communities are getting stricter because it's, it's just the getting, it's just getting more real. Like yesterday I let my daughter play with one friend. Um, and today I, I, I was working and I called my babysitter who, yeah, I am, I am having one babysitter come to my home because I need that for work. And I said, don't let anyone in the home anymore. No play dates. She can't go out. No one can come in. And I think everyone's doing that now. So everyone's isolating more and quarantining more, but we can do even better. Um, I, you know, I, I actually have a lot of people texting me and asking me if Dr. Kirschenbaum is on the line. So I reached out to him, and he is available to leap on. So I'm going to give him a quick call because I think he might be very helpful in talking about um, what he's seeing in the pediatric outpatient areas, as well as talking um, to us a little bit about how we can manage medically fragile children. So if you can all give me one moment, I'm just going to merge him in. Um, but Dr. Cohn, if in the meantime you want to talk a little bit about um, the symptoms that we're seeing now, because I know they've added a cough to the symptoms, which wasn't on it like five days ago. I now saw I, I now saw a runny nose on the call. Uh, I'm sorry, on the on the list of symptoms, I actually didn't realize that was something. Is that something I missed, or is that something we all knew? So it, it's it is kind of tricky, um, kind of like you were saying, Vima, the, the the list of symptoms or or the symptoms that we're looking out for is also um, changing. Um, the, the main symptoms when people say, you know, how do I know? When should I be concerned? Uh, I think it's what you said. So fever, uh, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be a fever that you measure. It could simply be you feel like you might have a fever. You feel, you know, that the the temperature is bothering you in the air, um, that you just feel like a little chilly, um, and a dry cough, um, or cough generally. So even if it's just a cough alone um, with no other symptoms, and then a fever may follow. Um, a fever, and we even say, yes, maybe a runny nose. Um, the, the, the tricky part about saying it's a runny nose is because, you know, spring starts in a couple of weeks, or this week, rather, right? So... Um, the pollen count is going to be an issue, and then how do we differentiate between allergies um, and corona? Uh, the answer is it's not going to be easy, um, but generally what we're being told is what we're always told is, you know, if you can differentiate between an allergies and a cold, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're feeling a little stuffed and, you know, your eyes are kind of puffy and red and um, you're, really, you're sneezing a lot, you're reacting to... Um, you know, you walk outside and all of a sudden you start sneezing, right. that's a pretty good bet that that's allergies. Um, right. Uh, if you're feeling sick, however, you're really feeling run down. Um, you know, fatigue, I would say, is more than, uh, is also a newer one. It's more, it's um, more global. Yes. And, I, and in that sense, you know, they said people have said flu-like symptoms. So that means really right. fever uh, and fatigue and dry cough and really feeling really different than you normally would, that, that suddenly right. that you just don't have the kind of energy you normally have. Um, right. I, and the one thing I would comment on is when, when we think about what is shortness of breath, um, we, we use that as a clinical term, but for everybody out there, um, it means that all of a sudden uh, you, you feel like you're just not breathing right. There's something right. when you take a breath, it doesn't feel right. Uh, you may feel like you have to catch your breath, um, and 
if if you do feel that, that is something to be very concerned about. Um, right. That I think more than you know, cough and a fever, I would say are mild. Um, but if you feel that there's something off with your breathing, that's where I would I would say that's a sign to 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 go see a doctor. Okay. Let me let me interrupt because I'm actually getting two or three questions that are something I had in mind myself. And we have Dr. Kirshenbaum on the line. Um, Dr. Kirshenbaum, if you hear me, can you say hi and just briefly introduce yourself and where you work? Sure. Yeah, of course. So my name is uh, Dr. Menachem Kirshenbaum. I'm a pediatrician locally in Borough Park and in Williamsburg. Okay. So here's a question for you. Um, if someone is developing a new sore throat but doesn't necessarily have other symptoms, do you feel like it's worthwhile to come into the clinic to get a strep test? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Or is that risky? <laughs> so it's a great question, and it's a question I'm getting quite uh, quite a lot of in the recent days. So one of the first, I, I missed the first part of the lecture, but one of the presenting signs that we're seeing in children, in particular for COVID, coronavirus, is uh, sore throat, throat pain, and um, even before the fever comes on. So like a mother told me today in Williamsburg, she said, just because coronavirus is around, it doesn't make strep stop, so and it makes it very difficult. So I am recommending getting throat cultures for throat pain, in particular with fever. Um, obviously, I would encourage you guys to try to figure out when would be a good time to go see your doctor for the throat culture to minimize exposure to other people. In our particular office, we're doing a, a lot of work in the triage state. Uh, that means before the patient, when you guys um, call, Initially, we're trying very hard to, first of all, really push away any non-urgent matters. If you can wait till after the, the outbreak, or at least when it starts to calm down a little bit. But to answer your question, yes, I would get a culture. Um, I am seeing the, the usual amount of uh, strep throat. So I would come in, but I would try to come in or have your doctor at least um, try to best accommodate you, which means less patients in the office try to go in at a quieter time and try to get in and out as quick as possible to limit exposure. So so just to recap what you're saying is that if you're having um, throat pain, whether whether it is or isn't accompanied by fever, it is a good idea to get a strep test, but probably call ahead and ask when is the best time to come and if you can put on a mask before you come into the office because we all know like you, you might have coronavirus either with or without the strep. So you you don't want to walk into a clinic, do you? Like what, what's the best? No. Yeah. I, so this, this is where uh, going to a pediatrician is, is most likely best. So if you have a, a most urgent cares and um, some of the larger pediatric offices have more of a walk-in policy, those are the ones I try to stay away from as best as possible. These days because of what we're referring to, but you definitely want to try to call ahead, try to come in at the least when it's least busy. But to answer your question, sure, it's always definitely a good idea to to protect yourself and, you know, okay. wearing a mask would be a good idea. Okay. Okay. So I think, I think people found that helpful um, because I've been hearing about a lot of sore throats. So it's just hard to know if there are other upper respiratory viruses that they can have. I mean, the patients that I have that are coming into the hospital, about half of them are testing positive for COVID. The other half, a lot of them are coming out with like rhinovirus and RSV and metanumo and all of that. So there are still other viruses that can be causing things. But yeah, if you develop these body aches and these chills and or cough or shortness of breath and you live in this community, the biggest likelihood is that you do have it. Um, 
So, Dr. Kirshenbaum, while we have you on the phone, because I don't want to keep you because you've been on all of our calls in the past, but I, I did think it might be a good opportunity. We had, we've had a lot of questions coming into us with people who have medically fragile children at home that require skilled nursing care at home, children on ventilators, children with tube feeds. Um, and yesterday I spoke to a woman who has a two-year-old who spent the first year and a half in an ICU setting until she was discharged home, and she has around-the-clock care. And she wanted to know if it's safe to have nurses coming in to care for her child if they may have been taking public transportation and been in contact with other people. And oh, man. I realized, yeah, and I realized that there's, there's actually several hundred such families, at least in Brooklyn, that have children with these conditions that need professional skilled staff. So I, like, the way I answer this, and, and, if, and if I was wrong, then let me know, because people do need to know what the right thing is to do. Um, I asked the mother if she's able to do all of these skills on her own, and she said, I, I have the know-how and I can, but it, she requires it around the clock, and I have another baby under her, and I have to make Pesach. So I don't know that I can function if I don't have that help. And I think that's really important when taking into consideration everyone's entire circumstance. Um, so my recommendation was to make sure that everyone gowns up or even puts a towel around their chest or waist if there aren't any gowns because everything's on shortage, but to just make sure that there's good um, precautions put into place, a lot of hand washing and masks and things like that. But if you have any different opinions or any other thoughts, I think there are a lot of people on this call that would probably feel feel comfortable hearing. Yeah, so you know our office in Bar Park, we have a, a fairly large uh, pediatric office, and we have a number of patients who who are who do have chronic conditions that require around the clock nursing, and this is a very common question. And my answer is very similar to what you said, but maybe I just add that um, you can only limit what you can limit in the sense that we're assuming that so much of New York City has been exposed already to coronavirus. I feel strongly that a lot of these mothers are so overwhelmed and as is are really hanging on by a thread and understandably so. It's a really stressful situation just exactly. the time, time of year that it is. So I, I, I think it's important to remember that as long as we're trying our hardest, that's the only thing that we can do. This is not a, a time for perfection. You're not going to get it just right. You cannot. So what we were talking about in some of our previous calls, what me and Dr. Cohn were talking about was this idea that you you can't prevent, it's very difficult to prevent your children from getting coronavirus. But what you can do, and this is more with your healthy children, more typical children, is you can prevent the spread of it to other people. But from right. your own children receiving or, or, or contracting coronavirus, it's really difficult. And I wouldn't, I would just try my hardest. Um, and that's really, that's really, really what we've been telling our patients, that this idea between essential and non-essential care. If it's essential care, then, then there's a reason why we're calling it essential. Try to, right. limit, try to limit the people and sort of piggybacking some of the stuff that uh, Dr. Cohen was mentioning. I, I heard the tale on what he was saying. It's the idea of if we can limit the exposure to, to people, the, the more we can limit, the, the better that it is. Um, but if it's essential, it's essential. And that's the key. And we know that, let's say, if a nurse comes in, if a home health aide or, or a skilled nurse comes into the house, and she's not feeling well, cough, fever, I, I, you do have to advocate for your child and ask her to leave. But if, of the person, if the person appears well, if the individual caring for your child appears well, we have to assume that they're not shedding a high viral load, and we have to almost, at, at this moment, someone's like, this is where you become a, a Maiman, a, a little Amuna, because I think otherwise 
it's not going to work. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and this might go on for an indefinite amount of time. And then we go into Pesach and I, 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 people feel like this quarantine has been going on for weeks already, but in reality, it's only been two or three days. There's no way we can have parents collapsing early into this. You know, we need to preserve our strength. So I've gotten texts whether, you know, their elderly grandparents can have their caregivers come. Yes, for reasons of safety, for reasons of, you know, mental stability. You can't be up around the clock. It's just physically impossible to be doing everything. So we do need to allow it um, and just be as, as cautious as possible. And the rest, is, the rest is really up to Hashem. You know, we need to take our precautions and do our best. Um, but thank you so much. And I, I know we've discussed um, the issue of immunocompromised people on almost every call because that's, it's just so prevalent in our community. Um, and so many people don't realize that. You know, people say, oh, it's just the immunocompromised. There are actually 10 million immunocompromised people in the United States, and the from community has so many of its own. Um, and the biggest question is, and I even had this question from a nurse at work today, she said, do you, know, you think I should stay on my medications? I'm on immunosuppressive medications. Maybe I should just stop them. The recommendation is absolutely not. Um, if you get off your medications, you're predisposing yourself to a whole bunch of other problems, which will not help you if you catch coronavirus. So if you have asthma, you need to keep your symptoms as well controlled as possible and take your medications and avoid being with absolutely anyone. If you have irritable bowel disease, colitis, Crohn's disease, you need to take all of your medications. Do these do these illnesses make you more susceptible to coronavirus or to having a worse case of it? We don't know enough, um, but I know, Dr. Cohn, you've said in the past that a lot of these underlying things and conditions that can make people more immunocompromised can flare up in the setting of any virus, right? You know, I know you work in the pediatric ICU. So, you've mentioned um, that. so yeah, so, I mean, I work in, in pediatric ICU, um, but because uh, – because I'm in the ICU, right, we're, we're discussing with the entire hospital and really, you know, involved in all the um, discussions about how to protect all of our patients because we, we need to be mindful of parents as well. Uh, and so all the restrictions and all the things we're talking about and how to protect each other, um, it applies to people of, of every age group, not only patients but also their families. Um, when it comes to, you know, immunocompromised, I think we talked when we talked the other day, um, I, I, and maybe this is starting to get more clarified as we're seeing um, what's happening to people who have uh, COVID, and that is that anyone with a severe uh, or significant underlying chronic illness that affects their life, uh, and, and, I, and I'm being sort of purposefully vague, meaning things like diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, these are things that impact your daily life. Um, but we know that they affect the entire body. Those right. are basically one can be considered compromised with respect to the coronavirus because we are seeing that the most severe cases are in those people. Um, if you look at, and I was just looking at the, earlier the reports about the patients in New York who have died, unfortunately, um, at least as of yesterday, all uh, all except for two people um, had documented significant underlying medical problems, right. um, and that's consistent with what we are seeing, you know, around the world. Um, uh, and I should mention that again, people shouldn't 
pass it off as, oh, well, it's only immunocompromised people. Like you were saying, um, you know, people above a certain age who have started, you know, to move around more slowly, um, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, when when life, uh, when you get to a certain age and it really affects your daily living and your daily functioning, um, there's compromise there. There's there's some aspect of your body that has is not working the way it used to. Um, and so that, again, means you're compromised in some way. Uh, and so those those are the people who are at risk, which means that if if you're young and healthy, uh, but and don't have symptoms, but have the virus on you, on your hands and your nose, um, uh, without taking the precautions that we are talking about, you are putting those people at risk if you come in contact with them. Uh, I just right. feel it bears repeating. I feel it bears repeating every time we talk yes, about this. I know, I know. Um, so I, I wanted sorry. to add also for for people who do stop. Uh, sorry, Sandra. To people who do stop their immunosuppressants if they're let's say have irritable bowel irritable bowel disease um, and experience a flare, that might land them in the hospital. And at a time like this, um, it would not be a good time to be in the hospital, both uh, taking away resources from the critically ill and themselves being at risk of contracting the coronavirus. That's that's a really good point. Absolutely. Um, And you know, we have a lot of questions coming in that kind of have to do with all of this. So I, I think we should go into some questions, but then we can maybe try to talk a little bit about Pesach and travel and how to make Pesach with children and if you've never make it, made it at home. Um, so a couple of quick questions really quickly. Um, so, so, so I know there's been a very, very widely circled um, statement that was first considered real, then a myth, and now it's considered real again, that you should avoid ibuprofen or NSAIDs like Motrin or Advil if you have coronavirus. And remember, you might not know you have it from a test. You might just have to assume you have it if you have the symptoms. Um, and right now, the latest that we have is that you really might want to avoid them. Initially, we did not know if there was any science to back up that it can be concerning. But um, Dr. Lieberman, do, do, do you want to just help us understand what, what that really means and what we really should be doing if we're having fevers? What should we use and what should we avoid? Yeah, sure. So initially, there was a release from the French um, journalist that uh, stated that ibuprofen can can be dangerous to take with coronavirus, and then it was later um, retracted. Um, but now, uh, I believe the World Health Organization um, did put out uh, data that uh, there is a potential risk to taking um, ibuprofen. Um, I would say that the data is still not fully there yet to make it a definitive right. recommendation, but because there is um, even the thought, um, I would recommend uh, people start off with Tylenol, um, and which is a, a safer version of acetaminophen, um, to try to break their fevers, bring it down. Um, and if that doesn't work, um, I think uh, ibuprofen are contacting a, their physician, um, you know, Fevers that are not going down for days uh, can be dangerous. So, right. I have another question here. Um, are there any recommendations to avoid corticosteroids? Is that something any of you have seen? I have not, but it seems that this mm-hmm. might be coming from the CDC. Dr. Yes. Uh, we're, yes. Yeah, we're yes. seeing. Yeah, we're seeing that. We're, we're um, re- recommendations are uh, 
to avoid steroids, obviously, unless you need it, right? So if someone who has a severe asthma exacerbation or anaphylaxis, meaning that have a severe allergic reaction, the doctor is saying they need steroids and they need steroids. Um, there are other patients who might be in the hospital that need steroids for other reasons, um, and the, those patients should get steroids. Um, but other than other than that, unless there's a specific um, uh, condition that uh, really requires steroids, um, we are being generally told to avoid steroids. Um, and then, uh, and, and really Advil or ibuprofen uh, and related medications, not Tylenol or acetaminophen, but, uh, which is fine as, uh, as far as we know right now, but ibuprofen, um, naproxen, um, Toradol or Ketorolac, um, things, drugs like that, um, which can have a similar effect to steroids in terms of the concern, uh, those are, okay. we're being told to avoid. Okay, so just to just to clarify what you're saying is that you should avoid the steroids if they're not needed, but for someone who needs these medications to keep a medical condition under control, they should continue that. I'm assuming that letting your asthma get out of control is not going to do anyone any favors right now, right? Correct, um, and 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 also, I mean, and that's true for any other medication. Not to mention that putting asthma aside for a minute, I would like Dr. Kirshenbaum to speak. But the the, the um, uh, people who are on steroids um, that where they take by mouth, um, you can't just stop them, um, and so that it actually could be right. very dangerous um, if you're taking steroids at home. Uh, you apps for, for any length of time uh, longer than than a week or so. Um, you cannot just stop them, and so you definitely need to speak to your doctor about that. Yes. Okay. That's really important because I know that those these are categories of medications a lot of people are on, and and they just keep wanting to know how how best to manage that. Um, we're, we I would just say as a questions. blanket statement, yeah. if if somebody's on medication and they think they should stop it for COVID nineteen, they should speak to the prescribing physician first. So Absolutely. Any medication. Yeah. Good yeah. idea. Um, okay. So someone is saying, can we explain to everyone what flatten the curve means? Um, I'll start, but if I don't say something clearly, then I want I want any of the other physicians or uh, nurse practitioners on the call to step in. Um, and I'm going to take a minute or two to explain this because it's really important. Um, and for anyone with internet access, if you Google flatten the curve and you Google Washington Post, they have an article that has interactive graphic visuals that demonstrate how infection would drop radically if people would um, follow isolation and quarantine practices. So again, if you Google the Washington Post, because I don't know the name of the title, and flatten the curve, it will show you a very visible graphic. And the theory behind the concept of flattening the curve explains that if most people stay indoors, much less people get infected. For example, in Bar Park, all of the exposures are now happening. All the positive tests are coming through right now, and we all know that Purim happens. There have been a lot of weddings recently. Um, hypothetically, if everyone had quarantines a week ago, had we known how it would explode, we wouldn't be having all these positive tests. So when people mingle and when they're spending time together, they are simply sharing the virus person to person. What that means is large amounts of people are getting sick all at the same time, and they all start flooding our hospitals, our emergency rooms, hot sala calls, um, and, and local doctor's offices. What that means is that you're now exposing all of those personnel, which means that those personnel are getting sick. 
scenario, you're having tons of people coming to the doctors and hospitals, lots of people that work here getting sick and needing to leave the, the practice because they have fever and can't, can't work safely. Um, so you've got overwhelmed systems and you've got shortages of providers. So what that means is that it's unsafe for everyone. By isolating and quarantining, it means we'll be staggering the cases. People will probably still catch this at some point because it has a two-week incubate. It has a seven-day sort of incubation period, but we are uh, isolating for two weeks for positive coronavirus cases or for exposures. It means that everyone will probably give it to each other at some point or for most people, but if it's staggered over many, many weeks or months over a shorter period of time, People can get admitted to the hospital, cared for, and discharged, and again, admitted or seen by their doctor's office and discharged, whereas right now where I'm working, every day, I would say a dozen nurses call out sick because they're getting fever. Every day, we're admitting new people with coronavirus. Every day, people with coronavirus are getting intubated, and our hospital hospital systems are just not set up for pandemics this way, Um, so we just can't deal with it. So for a lot of people who say, well, we'll all get it anyway, let's just get it and get over with it, that might be a good point as far as people that won't need the hospital, but for the significant percentage that do, they'll all be clustering in our hospitals the exact same time, they'll be having visitors coming in at the exact same time, and our entire hospitals will start having beds lined up, people that will have to be discharged before their treatments are complete and things like that. So I know I've spoken for a while. Um, would anyone like to add anything or clarify the way I phrased anything here? Um, I mean, I, I, I would speak to that mainly from the standpoint of working in an ICU. Um, it's important when, we, when we've been talking about this in the hospital, um, because we get asked you know, all the time, all day long by parents, um, you know, what should I be doing at home and, and why are we doing all these things? Why are my kids not in school? Um, and we've, we've been talking up until now about protecting our loved ones. Um, what we are doing and what we need to do with whatever term you want to use, quarantine, lockdown, shelter in place, all of these things, which the end result is you stay at home as much as possible and don't leave and, and social distancing. Um, we are doing that to help each other. We are doing right. that to help uh, our neighbors, our kahila, our community, um, our city, our state, our country, the world. Um, when we let something through, when we decide that yeah, I can go out and, you know, see my friend around the corner and, you know, take a look at, you know, the new dog or, you know, oh, they got a new car, I want to check inside. And, like, our kids can, can play together. Yeah, one of them has the sniffles, but it's okay. It's just a cold. When we do that, um, a single person, uh, the way that this virus works, a single person um, can, in a, in, a, in a crowded room or in a not-so-crowded room, can infect however many people are in that room. Um, just by touching the surfaces, um, especially children who are going to touch every, anything and everything. Um, so when that happens, that's how this virus has spread exponentially. The curve that we're talking about is the is just this, you know, one instant in time when literally there's this rush to the hospitals because people are sick and need medical care. Um, and that curve 
is not about flattening it is not necessarily going to um, decrease the number of people who get coronavirus. And I think that that's, if anything, the most misleading part about it, that it, right. it's not about we're going to decrease how many people get it. Um, and in fact, it may, uh, you know, lead to us detecting it for a far longer period of time, especially if we are not strict enough about stopping it in its tracks. Um, but what it does mean is that it protects all of us from suffering without the available medical care that we need. Um, and, you know, we don't want to put each other in that position. Um, and, you know, if, if anyone's not following the news, um, whether it's not on the Internet, or but find the newspaper and to see what is going on in Italy, um, it's, I, I, it's the scariest thing that I've ever heard about other than wartime. Uh, yeah. they, they, they are, bit, what I read today, uh, they are short approximately 500 ventilators in the country. Um, oh boy. That, that means guaranteed 500 people are at risk of dying at any given moment without any resource. Um, that's, un- can, that's, can I just jump I mean, in crazy. really quickly? I just want to jump in because initially we were all reading about the the trouble Italy was in last week and everyone's Mm -hmm. reaction or or many people's reaction was that wouldn't happen here, right? It's the United States. We have hospitals. We have ventilators. We have supplies. Guess what? We're three days into New York City's real outbreak and during a rapid response, a a code that we had on our floor today um, for a patient who was positive for COVID, we had to find masks for everyone and they weren't readily available. Uh, they're being locked in closets so that people don't take them. A lot of people have resorted to taking extras home. Family members are trying to steal them. And this is in the United States, and this is in a nice hospital. So for people listening to what's happening in Italy and thinking, well, that's Italy, you know, the United States has a big healthcare, uh, you know, force, and we have supplies. Not really, because these supplies are made in China, which, as we know, has been undergoing the pandemic firsthand originally. So when we talk about Italy, realize that we are we are there. We we you know buongiorno. We've reached that. So um, just it, it's home. It's not it's not far away anymore. And yeah. it, it's always very jarring to see that we're reaching that point um, in our own country in 2020 in Manhattan. Right. I, as as a tangent, that's not entirely medical, but uh, certainly by what we're hearing through our sort of medical suppliers and administrators. But I think the same is true, actually, on the um, basic supplies side as well. Um, It is very true that we, uh, thank God, as a country, do have enough food and supplies, like toilet paper, like paper towels, um, like other things, basic things that we need. Those things exist. Um, But... um, but uh, when people run on the, you know, make a run on the stores and basically buy everything out in a panic, um, that's no different than um, leaving your house and not being responsible and caring for other people, um, and and not, you know, doing proper hygiene and social and social distancing. Um, we have these things. We have the ability to protect each other. Um, uh, in Europe, I'm aware that there are already there are stores that are actually rationing just because people are are buying too much. 
so they can't supply, you know, resupply frequently enough. It's not that it doesn't exist. So in the same way, when it comes to medical supplies, don't go to Walgreens and buy up all the Tylenol. Um, if you, you know, if there are other medications that we start hearing about that could be helpful, um, ask your doctor, you know, uh, how much you might need if you have the, if you have the infection. Whatever the case is, whatever supplies you think you need, um, there are there are those things to go around. Even honestly, with the the uh, masks for doctors and and nurses, um, they exist, um, but we simply have to get them here. And if they are being used up by this influx of patients, again, there's, there's this domino effect that happens. So that's that's what flattening the curve is. Flattening this curve is is protecting everybody. Yeah. Okay. Um, we do have to hang up. Um, it's, it's an hour. We can we can take a few more minutes. Um, uh, Danielle, I, I know you want to talk a little bit about vitamins and boosting your immune system. Um, do you have any thoughts? I, I know people are, are turning to vitamins and minerals. Um, is is there anything you can help us with? I mean, I I, I understand from our from I understand from a medical perspective, vitamins don't really boost an immune system. But can you um, can you go for it, or or Dr. Lieberman? Um, I can defer to Dr. Lieberman. Um, just my only point with vitamins, you know, we are all staying indoors. Um, we are definitely not getting out as much exercise as we should, but just also keep that in mind. Um, you know, your day to day life. Try to put some time aside to do some exercise, you know, you can do it with your kids, you know, jumping jacks, make it fun, but it's just just to keep in That's mind that point. our regular everyday lives are really changing and that, you know, whatever, um, you know, vitamin D is very important, vitamin C people find very helpful, um, but I'll, I'll give it over to the doctor. Any thoughts uh, I mean, or Dr. Kong, either of you? I was, I, I, I was just going to say, uh, again, and it's certainly children, I'll say on the pediatric side, um, there are some vitamins that um, baby infants must have uh, because it's, you know, as part of their diet or lack thereof. So infants uh, between the ages of zero and six months um, certainly need uh, vitamin D, um, sometimes older um, if they're not getting a supply elsewhere. Um, and so just those are basic things that you get from your general pediatrician. Um, but, you know, for adults, uh, again, if you're being prescribed a vitamin, um, for example, prenatal vitamins, uh, some people have to take folic acid, uh, some people have to take vitamin D, um, those are important. Getting vitamin C, again, the basics are important. Uh, additionally, I would say the, uh, a, a very important vitamin that um, we, that we are, don't focus on enough and now is probably going to become even more important um, is mental health. <laughs> um, and and the importance of that on uh, the toxicity of mental health on your physical health um, can't be overstated. So I would just throw that out there to be mindful of that. Uh, that is also puts one in a compromised state um, if if you are overly stressed. Uh, and so it's important to think ahead and, and know yourself to find ways to minimize the stress that is likely to come up. Yeah, I'll just so much. yeah, I'll just chime in over here about the vitamins. I think I, I hear the question before uh, coronavirus came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, something I get asked about on a daily basis in Williamsburg and Borough Park in particular regarding uh, vitamin supplementation. And I think it's important to hear from doctors as a group that um, your normal healthy diet 
will supply mm-hmm. you with every single essential mineral and vitamin that your body needs. So if you're normal with your diet, you'll have everything that you need. You don't need extra vitamins. It doesn't work that way. Vitamins is a, there's a there's a there's a minimum that you need to have, and once you reach that threshold of B12, vitamin A, folate, niacin, whatever it is that it may be that's uh, being pushed or peddled, it's important to remember. And it's a very essential point is that once you reach that threshold, that minimum threshold you're good and your body will be able to function. If you give more of that vitamin, it's not going to protect you or have an additional benefit. Um, obviously, now that we're going through a time with this with coronavirus where your immune system is probably being bombarded constantly, um, the only known immune boosters that we know about is really vaccines. It's the only thing that boosts your immune system. Uh, right now, we don't. as long as you've gotten your flu shot and you have your basic sets of vaccines, there's really nothing else other than just being safe one of the things that you guys talked about earlier, um, you know, just basic universal protocol, coughing and elbows, washing hands, uh, no, close, no close talking, stuff like that. Agreed. And related um, to, to mm-hmm. vitamins, there's a, a myth that's uh, being uh, sent around. Um, vitamin C and zinc can cure coronavirus for those who have it. Um, and, you know, although vitamin C can have modest benefits, um, on the immune system, like Dr. Kirschenbaum said, you can get it through a normal, healthy, nutritious diet. Um, taking excess levels can be harmful, and there is no benefit that has been shown um, in regards to coronavirus specifically. So save your money and, uh, uh, you know, don't yeah, um, buy um, vitamin C in response. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's important. Once, once we're on the phone, we're discussing a little bit. I know it's not regarding corona, but once you have adequate levels of vitamin C, D, having excess amounts of it, it's, 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 I'd say it's not even controversial. It's pretty straightforward that you should, the benefit that you receive is, is, is limited to none. Right, because your, your body can only absorb so much of a certain vitamin, um, and most people actually have enough. Um, vitamin D is the only one that we sometimes see deficits in, but taking extra vitamins, it, it just gets excreted out of your body because your body has already absorbed the maximum exactly. it can. So I, I think people don't realize that. But, yeah, there's a finite amount that you need, um, and uh, we, we get it from our diets. And I also want to clarify, um, even people who don't have the healthiest diet, you know, children can sometimes be picky eaters, eat a lot of carbohydrates, pasta, bread, potatoes, grilled cheese, pizza, cereal. I mean, the, the lucky people have children who will eat, you know, miso soup and broccoli. But I think for the majority of people who have picky eaters, they're 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 really eating limited diets and limited fresh produce. You still don't need to give them vitamins. You, the only time it's really indicated is in cases of malnutrition or 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 severe, you know, um, deficits in in what they're eating. So I just wanted to clarify that, like from a good diet, you can get your thing. You can also get all of your, um, you know all of your nutrition needs from basic foods that they're all pretty much fortified with vitamins and minerals and you, you can be okay with that. Um, I, I actually think maybe we need to hold off on our conversation about Pesach only because we do need to hang up. And I, I really hate to end off on a, on a negative note, but I'm just saying it because I think it's important enough. Um, I, I was just notified that there's an alert on the Lakewood scoop that there is a 40-year-old man from Lakewood that's in critical condition from coronavirus. Um, he had no pre-existing conditions, and he's extremely ill. Uh, this is 
in the name of Dr. Shannick from Lakewood. I think he's relatively well known. So I'm I'm very I'm very sorry to see this. Um, I, I hope it's not false information. It's on the Lakewood scoop, and I guess we'll follow up and see if and see if this ends up being the case. Um, I, I also received a message from a nurse working in Maimonides who said that there's a 35-year-old uh, EMT with no pre-existing conditions who is um, currently intubated in the ICU. So, you know, as I said earlier, and I'll repeat this just quickly for our callers who are not on time, 50% um, of the cases in New York City are seen in ages 18 to 49. Okay, so we are not just protecting our grandparents, we are protecting ourselves. Um, so, so we really need to be really careful. I'm just going to recap everything we've said here. I know a lot of what we're saying is repetitive. Um, there, we do keep updating with whatever we have that can be helpful to people. Feel free to send me information that you feel needs to be given out. I also noticed that there was an alert going out that said that the Rabbanim are all shutting down all places of shuls and mikvahs and requesting that people fast tomorrow. Um, has anyone else seen that? Any of you doctors? Yes. Okay, I, I'm actually. Yes, uh, I actually we got we got a message. Yeah, you got that message. I said it's a half a day. What? A half day fast uh, until Hatzos. Until yep. right, 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 right. Um, you know what? I have to say, I I really like that approach because for me, it it's a great balance of following the evidence and the medicine guide, which is to stay home and save everyone's life over here by not going out and getting people sick. Cause like we see here, we don't know who will catch it and unfortunately not do well. Um, so it, it encourages all of those guidelines and it also incorporates some, you know, spiritual guidelines, which is from people, that's what we do. And I, I, I just think that this, is, this kind of crisis is the kind where, um, you know, a universal fast day for Jewish people, it, it, for me personally, it does resonate. So I wanted to share that with everyone. If they hadn't gotten that alert, there's a half-day um, fast tomorrow until Chatzos, um, just to pray for our community and everyone else to to try to get through this with as as little loss as possible. Um, so just to really recap, um, our cases are rising: 218,000 across the globe, um, 923 in New York City, which doubled from yesterday, which was in the 400s. Men are more affected than women. 50% um, are under age 50. Uh, hospitals and clinics and Hatsala are all very overwhelmed. And what you can do to help out is stay in, stay home. Don't look for places to get tested because you're just using up healthcare resources and possibly exposing people who now need to leave work and go on sick leave. So, you know, we need your part so we can do our part. Um, testing is not indicated for anyone unless there's an exceptionally exceptional circumstance such as a sibling uh, getting married, which I know there aren't weddings, but if you're going to be with a sibling or you need to be with someone or if a wife is going into labor and you want to be at her side, you know, then you would get tested. Aside from these really, really rare occasions, you do not need to be tested because either way you should not be leaving your house, ideally. Um, medically fragile children should be cared for the way they were before with as stringent guidance in place. Um, have your, your nurses come uh, have them gown up if you can. Even use washable nursing scrubs. You know, purchase a few sets of nursing scrubs and have everyone change into a pair when they're providing care to the child. Um, immunocompromised people must take their medications as prescribed. You cannot stop taking your medications. Don't don't do that on your own. It's probably going to just come back to haunt you. Um, lots of hand washing. An absolute loss. You know, uh, uh, more hand washing than you can ever imagine. 
Um, yes, and don't fast if you're ill. Someone is mentioning that. If you are sick, if you have coronavirus, you're, you're exempt. Um, I'll, I'll put on my rough hat for a moment. Please don't fast if you're ill. We need you to be really well hydrated and, you know, keep your, keep your strength up, even if it's a half-day fast. I don't think that's for you. Um, I think that's all for tonight. Is there anything anyone wants to throw in before we hang up for today? Uh, I think I that for anyone who's on this call, to, sorry, <laughs> for Go anyone ahead. who's on this call, um, they know many other people who are not on this call, and just to try to get the word out there about what is going on, the importance of staying home, the importance of everything that we discussed. Just get the word out. I agree. That's what we're trying to do here. I hope this has been helpful to um, as many people as possible. Um, please feel free to send us questions. Hopefully some of you know some of us. I, I, I don't feel comfortable mentioning my phone number. I already get a lot of trolls. Um, so find someone who knows someone here that can answer questions for you. We're always available. And in Mercer Sound, we'll probably host another one of these calls maybe um, later in the week, Arab Shabbos or Sunday, depending how fast things move and if there are updates. Thank you so much for calling in, and everyone stay home and stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org. Thank you.